Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CEO Cheat Sheet Podcast. Today, we have another episode for you with amazing Irvin Howe, who is running Chromatics Digital Agency for the past 15 years and has vast amount of knowledge hopefully we can uncover. On top of that, Irvin has founded SaaS Martech company called Conversion Cow. I'm extremely delighted to have you as my guest here, Irvin. How are we doing today? Thank you so much for having me. Actually, really excited, really pumped as well. So thank you. Amazing. I think we can start from warming up and follow through the structure of the agenda. So let's start from you telling us about your business a little bit more, how you started and most importantly, why? I started, so I've got, so firstly, my name is Erwin, Erwin is in Steve Erwin, I run Chromatics, I've been doing that, for, like you mentioned, for 15 years. We make websites that make your phone ring. It's as simple as that, that's uh, how we've positioned it. And and I think why, my I come from a family where my father actually, and a lot of people don't know this, um, he was actually a small business owner. Uh, he did his own thing. And having grown up in that environment, I think it was in my blood to do my, or have my own business. That's the first thing. But because I've seen the struggles of small business, and there's one key area we might delve into later of conversion that I saw in his business, and I guess in all businesses, I just feel like it's a life mission to solve this issue of helping people to convert on websites better. I know it, sound, it doesn't sound as cool as, you know, going overseas to save people's lives or heart surgery or things like that, but I believe I'm changing lives because I'm changing small businesses and small businesses is the backbone of our economy. And so uh, both companies that I run both support businesses because I am one and um, that's, that's by why. So yeah. That's beautiful. I love the part where you actually inspired to become an entrepreneur thanks to your father. And also I completely agree that small businesses is an absolute backbone. It all starts as a small business and helping them, supporting them is very important in the industry. So yeah, this is, uh, this is amazing. What's your business and personal goals in this venture? Let's change the world one website at a time. But with my SaaS company, and I share this on the I want to see my tool on 1 million websites. That's my aim. And I'm going to push hard because to me, it's not 1 million websites. It's I get to help 1 million people. And it's a big goal. It's a big stretch. But let's be honest. That's why we have goals. We don't get goals because, you know, they're small and, you know, uh, easy to grasp. We want to dream big. And so that's my dream. Just want to help as many people as possible. Yeah. That's exciting. And I think you will help way more people, actually, if you change 1 million websites due to the macro impact uh, through the economy and people who is actually working in this business. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So your personal and business goals are aligned and like you have passion in doing that or you have some other goals. This question might be a little bit tricky because, for example, some entrepreneurs also think in financial independence, for example, so they can do what they love the most, you know, unlock themselves or it's... It's, all, it's included in your vision. <laughs> Mine's actually really simple. And, and you're absolutely right. Every, everyone wants, right, there's, there's the financial freedom that everyone wants, or they might want those uh, dollars to then invest into other things to help other people. Uh, mine is actually really simple. I can actually summarize it in six words because it's not just a business principle. It's actually a life principle for myself. And it's actually uh, summarized as bot bio, B-O-T-B-I-O bring out the best in others. And so my heart is to just bring out the best in others. I'd rather see you do well, my friend, than me. And if I can help you along the way and I win a little bit, then that's fine as well. And so you know how a lot of people talk about win-win? 
Yeah. I, and maybe because I'm called Erwin, ha ha ha. But no, I don't see it as win win. I always see it as a double win to you and a single win to me. I want you to win twice. And if I get to win once, I'm happy. Like, I'm happy if you win 10 times and I just win once because there has to be a both ways element to it. Because if I can't help myself, I can't help more people. But if I can help you even more, then I think I'm not only just doing my job, I'm actually changing the world at the same time. And you know what? I, I think I could sleep happy, you know, doing that. And so it's not about chasing the dollars. Dollars comes when you do the right thing, but it's more about helping others because I think life is more about ourselves and building a name for ourselves. I think, yeah, the more people we can impact, the better we are. And I think one person once shared this uh, with me, uh, Vladimir, is if there was a room of a hundred people and we only cared about ourselves, that only one person is looking after me. But if in the room you cared about the 99 others and everyone had the same thinking, the same principle, you'd literally have 99 people caring for you. And so to me, that is a better world and a better place and stuff. And so, yeah, we're just doing our best with what we've got. And so if you've got a little to give, give a little. And if you've got a lot to give, go nuts. Yeah, I, I think you know the heart behind it all now. And uh, yeah. Well, I love that piece of wisdom you have shared. I think this is the, the true entrepreneurial spirit. We are getting better by helping each other. And this is just having a cumulative effect, which is the most powerful force in the world. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to hear this position. I think your customers should love you. This is also very kind of noble and ethical mission in the end, as long as you know we can support each other as entrepreneurs. Even though... I got to understand your business better. I'm still curious to know, like, how would you also differentiate what you love and hate most in the business? Like, what would be these uh, top level items answering this question? I mean, let's be honest. Love and hate are two pole opposites. And I kind of compare it to strengths and weaknesses. Because I don't think I really hate anything because I love the challenge. So hating means that you really despise it, but I don't really despise anything. I just might find it a bit more challenging. So, so I'm going to reword that question as what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? My strength is I, I love people and I love actually helping people. I love communicating with people and I love articulating messages as clearly as possible. Obviously, you know, I enjoy the design side and with my first agency, I'm creative director. I'm in charge of strategy. I love the visual side. And so that's, we'll call it the strength. I guess with every strength is also a weakness. And actually a friend of mine, his name is Alex. If he's listening, I honor him for this piece of wisdom. Your strength is your weakness. You can't, your strength will hold you back from other things. So uh, I had a friend of mine. He loves to talk. Oh man, he loves to talk. So his weakness would be listening. If my strength is design, then maybe development, I find it more challenging. Not that I hate it. It's just more challenging. If I love selling or presenting, then maybe I don't like the administration side, you know? And so they're the kind of funny contrast that I see and stuff like that. And so maybe if I'm, I'm loving the visuals, then maybe I don't like the numbers as much. But one thing I've learned as an entrepreneur is you can't say, oh, I'm not good at numbers. I'm just going to let it go and hire a good accountant. Uh, I married an accountant as well, but that still doesn't qualify. You have to know all parts, but let's play on my strengths and let's get help on those things that I don't like as much. So yeah, that's it. Hmm. 
That's amazing. So basically, just to you know, recap from my lens is just identifying these strange points and weakness points would help balance everything out. And also, very important thing, which I think everyone should do in their businesses is you don't need to run everything yourself, but you need to understand every piece of the business, right? So you can then, when you delegate it, in the worst case scenario, you're still going to be this plan, I don't know, Zad or whatever, like in the ad, but you still need to know like how this function, right? So that's amazing. To be honest, I never heard something like that. I love the idea of polarizing in the way like strengths and weaknesses. No, thank you. <laughs> I think Alex remember. So I think he's uh, a close friend of mine who yeah shared that one. So I love it. Appreciate it. I just feel this creativity now. You know, I mean, throughout the conversations, I start to realize your strengths, you know, the, this creative uh, aspect of it. Thank you. <laughs> Um, we have also kind of, I would say, off subject of what we have discussed in this warming up section is about your daily lifestyle, mainly to understand like what, uh, I don't know, rituals or habits you have that uh, helps you keep in shape to run these businesses. So can you share? One of the main ones, I mean, there's a lot of different, we'll call it rituals and stuff like that, you know, spending time just outside, just reflecting, thinking through ideas and stuff like that. But one of the common ones and one of the biggest ones I've realized is I spent a minimum of 25 hours outside of work hours to keep learning. So if you think a nine to 5.30 is, uh, I mean, let's be honest, as entrepreneurs, there's no such thing as a nine to 5.30 anyway, but pretending nine to 5.30, 37 and a half hours is a typical working day. You still have time to sleep, time to see the family, time to have your hobbies and stuff, but I still try to fit in at least 25 hours to learn anything. And it might be learning on my strengths and leveling up, it could be identifying my weaknesses and uh, double downing on a couple of things just so I don't feel as weak, I guess, in this case, or at least get out of that I don't like it or hating phase and stuff like that. But I take 25 hours as an average on learning new things. So, and what do I learn or how do I learn? Well, number one, you've got to love technology nowadays. We have Google and YouTube, the two biggest search engines, search engines where you can learn anything. And so if you're visual, YouTube. If you like to listen, there's even podcasts like this one. Or even if you like reading, you can get a Kindle. But if you just do a simple Google search, and let's be honest with ChatGPT as well, you pretty much have your own kind of jar, you know, you know, like, like Jarvis or is that his name? Jarvis and um, Iron Man. It's like having your own Jarvis going, hey, tell me about the latest XYZ, you know, and just learn. And so firstly, what do I use? They're the kind of general mediums. What do I listen to? Well, I mentioned my strengths. I just doubled down on those. So for me, I run a SaaS company. So I read up a lot about SaaS companies, SaaS business models, failures, success stories, case studies, you know, all that kind of stuff. I love learning about new design techniques, new sales techniques, new marketing techniques, anything to do with digital, learning about AI, learning about persuasion and influence and human psychology, that kind of stuff. And let's be honest, I also just enjoy a couple of, uh, fun video clips as well, just to kind of relax and uh, and rest as well. That's pretty cool. I mean, staying in the constant uh, perpetual process of learning is amazing. I'm also curious, like with that amount of hours, I, I would consider 25 hours in the position when I would rather identify as a well-established business owner is a lot because usually from, from who I know, they spend less time learning, including myself. I enjoy learning, but learning that amount of hours means like you constantly in this, you know, it's like student mode, which is beautiful because uh, you, you never stop discovering new things, which makes you stronger. That's, that's uh, impressive. <laughs> no, thank you. And, and I love how you put it. It's, it is student mode. 
I think the moment we, I mean, you know how they say, you know, you stop learning, you stop earning and all that kind of stuff or whatnot. To, to me, always be curious. If I, if I had to give one, just always, like no single person on earth will know everything. So don't think you're the teacher. You're always the student. So if we have student mode turned on, we'll forever keep growing wisdom. But can I actually just share one piece here? Because one person actually said to me, Erwin, I did a calculation. We work 37.5 hours a week. You sleep this many hours. I can't even fathom outside of you eating, seeing your family, you know, you know, going to church or, or you know, playing golf or something like that. Where do you find 25 hours, right? It's like, it's almost impossible. You only have 24, right? unless you secretly have 28. So here's a couple of things, right? Number one, I listen to things at two and a half times the speed because I can process it that fast because I've actually trained myself to it. So I can actually absorb more uh, content, right? And let's be honest, if you did not understand the content afterwards, you were just listening for listening's sake. So I have, and uh, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I have 28 of these books. I have a notebook with me all the time, and I must, at the end of every podcast or YouTube thing or whatever it is, write down what is the key thing I learned and how am I going to apply it? Because if you just learned for the sake of it, I promise you if I turn around and say, hey, what did you learn when you read that? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Then you didn't learn. You were listening. Listening and learning are two different things, right? So that's my first challenge for myself was, did I listen to it, but did I learn something that I can, and here's the key thing, apply. Because if I cannot apply what I've learned, then what's the point of listening? I literally just clap my hands and go, well done, and move on. No, no. I want to see if I can apply it. I'm quite intense. I, I do apologize. So that's the first one. Second, when do I do it? Well, I just told you, so I play golf, right? I could be at a driving range doing a bit of anger management, as I call it, you know, hitting the balls and stuff like that. But who says I can't listen to something at the same time? What about the drive that takes me almost half an hour to get to the golf course, right? Or the driving range. That's another half an hour where I can listen to something. When I'm washing the dishes, I hate, I cannot tell you how much I hate washing dishes and stuff, but when I have to do it, on go the earphones and stuff, and let's just be, and here's the keyword, just productive, because the truth is, I don't think you can really multitask in some ways, but let's be honest, if I'm walking the dog, if I'm riding a bike, if I'm uh, washing the dishes, I don't really have to, I mean, yes, I have to concentrate when I'm driving and, and, and maybe recycling and things like that. But let's be honest, there's certain activities that I even do the gardening as a bit of a mental health and you've got to enjoy the greenery. You can do other things. And so find the time. And, as a, and just to finish on this, I don't have Netflix. I don't have Disney Plus. I don't have all the paid to, I don't have any of it. Because to me, learning is fun for me. That is the, the benefit. And, and yes, I still watch my episodes when I can. And, you know, a friend might go, hey, come over, check this out and whatnot. But to me, I want to be intentional with my time. And that's how I do it. That's it. Well, that's that's really cool example. I, to be honest, started to consider myself kind of lazy person after hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> even though I found like I also in the constant learning mode, even though if I didn't pay much attention to it, like, for example, I always love to bore in uh, the doctors I'm attending to, to understand the subject deeply. And I found like I've been triggered to do the deep research to realize what's happening and so on and so forth. So I apply the thing, but not that structural as you do. Like this is this is amazing. I mean, I probably don't know anyone else who is approaching the constant perpetual study in such, you know, I would say 
a systematic way. This is really amazing. And I like the fact that you mentioned you're on the golf course listening to. I mean, I was trying to think like, hey, how can you focus and, you know, hit the ball properly, like have a berry or something and uh, listening to something that might be interesting at the same time. And like, that's interesting and challenging, right? Well, to me, listening to something is almost like having the radio on, right? And so, and let's be honest, you do have to concentrate for your hit. So I might, you know, put the headphones down and so forth. But you do know golf course is so long, or if you're sitting at a driving range, you're just there by yourself. Anyway, it's because if you have a friend there, that's different because then you do it for social reasons. You don't have the headphones on. But even after I've left my friend, I just jump back in the car, the podcast turns on, and away I go, you know, sort of thing. And so that's why I'm saying it, it is quite intense in terms of there's a lot on happy all time. But I think I'm one of those who likes being stimulated with new information all the time. And to me, it's fun because I feel like a character in a video game and I'm just upgrading and just getting bigger, just getting more armor and more weapons. And and you know what? I get, it's soul bound to me. I get to keep it. I don't lose the item, you know, sort of thing. So and I used to love video games and stuff. So I just think I'm the ultimate character. Let's make the best and the most out of this character because this is all I've got. You know, I only have one life. So let's let's make it a, a good one and make each day count, right? Absolutely love that analogy. And the, yeah, I'm also playing, I even playing competition video games right now as well. And this, to me, it's like you, you definitely, I would say a champion and would be like at the top leaderboard. Like having such consistency is the key actually to become, become top. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. You can't be plat or diamond or, or something really high in a game just by playing one or two games. You, you are literally, and I've heard those esports guys, they literally will be in a room They'll eat, they'll, you know, do something. And then it's just, you just keep, because it has to get to the point where it's muscle memory, the way you're not even thinking anymore. That's where we want to be. And that's where we get to. If we are serious about it, and I get business is not for everyone. Entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. And you just have to give it your best crack and stuff. That's all you can do. And uh, we just do our best. That's amazing. I think uh, those tips could serve really well, like to pretty much anything. This is just amazing. So thank you very much for that sharing. All right. So now we can go to the core part of this podcast. And mainly, I just want to talk about uh, how the processes, tools, and knowledge you possess participate in actual practical environment of running the business. And we have several I would say chapters such as like client engagement, work execution, reporting, communication to the client, invoicing and payments, accountability, and data transparency. So we try to cover pretty much the entire flow of the business management and to understand what would be Chromatic's approach into getting through all of that stuff, like what we can get as a knowledge share and experience sharing from you. So let's start with the client engagement. And mainly the first question would be like, how would you approach the client? How the quote generation and starting of the work looks like? Again, I'm not going to specify maybe which systems to use because systems change over time. I might just share overall principles, if, if that's okay uh, with you. I think, firstly, our approach is always a personal one. As much as I love processes and uh, procedures and systems, it's really about the people and having a personal approach. Like all agencies, I hope agencies have some sort of templates and some sort of SOP that they can rely on and stuff like that. Uh, may it be an online system that does digital proposals where people would sign off quickly to just having some sort of a CRM where you can store the data or having some sort of management tool where you can actually store notes. That's actually a big one that I've noticed that if I hear something from client A and my project manager, my account manager, my technical director, my whoever comes along, designer comes along, I want to make sure that there's no Chinese whispers. I know I'm Chinese, but even I don't like Chinese whispers and stuff. We want to make sure that we have all 
the right information held together. I think that's one of the biggest ones that I've noticed. Sort of, sometimes it's like, even some of my supplies fall down in, is having the right information all together. On top of that, at the end of it, it's just making sure that we capture all the details in one area, that everyone can find everything. And then straight after that, um, yeah, just knowing how to distribute that information really cleanly and clearly to all staff members where they have full access through some document management system. Mm, got it. So you're pretty flexible. As long as you have like these processes, you're pretty flexible in using any tool, as long as you have a single source of truth. That's, I think this is the most important. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, just to tap into still into the tool, like do you use like Google Docs or like uh, j just we try to collect this information about the tools because it's pretty, uh, might be helpful for others, you know, instead of just general. Yeah, we've, to be honest, we've actually tried a bit of everything. And I think the answer is actually more uh, for those who are listening and stuff. It really depends on how your operations and what your business rules are like and stuff. I mean, we like Google because... I mean, Google runs half the world anyway and stuff like that. So, uh, you, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, as they say, you know, sort of thing. But we just find, you know, Google seems kind of fair in what it does and stuff. We might change it soon and stuff. But again, you've usually got the Googles, you've got the Microsofts and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's cool. And once you have these, let's say, generate this engagement uh, job like paperwork, you have the quote, the client is agreed. I bet in digital agency like yours, you, you still have to uh, sort of have a break uh, down of all of the activities or tasks, sort of scope of work to be presented to the client so they can understand what to expect, right? And maybe um, do the like line item costs as well. Or you just give a ballpark. Uh, I'm I'm curious because, you know, there are different approaches in this business model. Yeah, different methods and different ways, yeah. I, I think for us, it really depends on the customer because what, for what we do, we're actually quite a custom agency. And the fact that there's no one size fits all, uh, we are quite, actually quite malleable and quite flexible with the client. So some people want to break down. Some people actually don't want to break down. They say, what's, what's the final cost? As long as you can deliver it, because we, we're buying the result, not an hourly rate, you know, sort of thing. But some people go, no, I just want to know the hourly rate. So it really depends on what they need and stuff for like that. So we're not too qualmed. Normally we'll just give you a project cost and stuff because we just know how much a project will cost. But we obviously do sometimes do a bit of a hybrid where we give you like the core, kind of like buying a car. You get the base of car, but then you want the extra add-on, you want the sunroof, oh, you want the bumpers, you want the, you want the, the you know, whatever. Clearly I haven't bought a car for a while and stuff. You want the EV engine, I don't know, whatever it is, then that's going to cost extra and stuff for that. So yeah, it's pretty much it. All right. And I gotta, I gotta do the disclosure. I'm asking because at some point I consider myself as a client in this role to understand like on this first client engagement aspect, what could I expect? Because potentially, you know, you know, UX analysis is something that is like very important in many ways, right? It's like applicable to pretty much anything. So um, that's interesting. Cool. And uh, for the work execution, how do you track the progress? Like um, how how do you manage the progress for your team? And how maybe, you know, you do you do like revisiting? Like are you on track? Like what tools do you use for that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked if anyone here ran an agency and then didn't have some sort of project management software. And again, I don't mind if I've, I've heard people who have as basic, you know, it's just a nice little moving cards across like a Trello or something like that, uh, to Asana, to Podio, whatever it is and stuff like that. But having a project management system, I think, is is the key to it. But there are some project management systems that are too overcomplicated. Some are too basic. 
And sometimes you have to custom make your own. Actually, in fact, um, I was just talking to an agency owner just before this call, actually. He completely built out his whole system. And I said, you do know you could just sell your system, but they go, well, they'll have to do it exactly our way. And I think that's the, the tricky part. Everyone has a different way and we all like to customize, but there's a point where you're really just building your own software and you just need to find that kind of key balance just for yourself. So yeah, and there's plenty of pretty systems out there. It's just finding the right fit. And the truth is how we found it is we actually tested um, one of our operations team members. He looked at three systems, signed up to all three. We put in some jobs into all three of them and we asked the management team, which one works best for what you need in terms of getting your data out, reporting, numbers, tracking, note-taking, notifications, all those kind of things. And let's not pretend pricing always uh, matters because some are priced per seat, some are annual costs, some are based on usage, and you just need to see how it fits from a finance perspective, but also from a functional perspective as well. That's nice. I'm going to be a little bit pushy. I'm very teased to learn what are these three systems and what you guys selected in the end. <laughs> At the time, but this is actually quite a while ago and stuff like that, I think it was actually looking at, uh, it was either like a Monday or Monday or I think it was called Monday. I think we looked at Podio. We definitely considered uh, uh, Trello was too simple, I think, at the time. Asana was another one. And, and I'm not going to lie, in the last 15 years, we've changed systems more than three times because we've actually grown and changed our business accordingly. And let's be honest, we don't know what we don't know either. I didn't tell you how long we used it for. I'm just saying that we explored uh, and let's be honest, we all did start with Excel at one stage as well. So that's the uh, OG of uh, project management systems, right? <laughs> Write your own formula. So yeah, that was my first one. Yeah, so yeah. I got it. But what what's the system you selected in the end? Like uh, if you're, of course, comfortable to reveal that, because I think one of the goodies that people can get out of this conversation, they as long as, of course, uh, you as a guest are comfortable to share that, to know like, okay, this type of business use this system, so they tend to trust it because you know you're successful. So that's why I'm trying to reveal this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the latest one, that, or the one that we've used the longest, maybe rather than the latest one, because each one has a different way of doing things. Uh, Asano is one that we actually use for quite some time because it actually had everything that we needed. Though we did reconsider the time tracking element of it, which we used Toggle because. We just found it was actually better for how we used it. Like I said, a lot of these are actually more business decisions as opposed to which software is good or bad. But we just found that time tracking was one of the key pain points that, again, we didn't want to annoy people. It just had certain features. And so we kind of integrated that with what we had and away we went and so on. So that's one of the longest standing ones and, and it was pretty good. But kind of like your credit card, when you sign up to a credit card, you don't just change credit cards for the sake of it because it's operational. It's tied to everything you have. And so once you choose, I think the wisest thing we did was, like I mentioned before, choose three, put in sample projects, get your management team to run it or your PMs, your AMs or whatever you have, producers, see what they're comfortable with, see if they can get the data they need, also from a financial perspective and as you report back to your you know, GM or whoever, and then just then you have to take the plunge. I'm not going to lie. If you're going to take the plunge and move things across, then maybe just do it during Christmas time when things are down and, and not as busy. If, if that is your time or mid-year, it was easy. It's always busy, by the way. But then, yeah, there needs to be a migration time. And it's all, I kind of see it as like a run two systems together, import, make sure you're okay, yes, steady, and then do the cut. 
the cult's the hardest part because let's be honest, it's part of change management now. You literally need to train every person you have, your testers, your QAs, all the way to designers, developers, management, all the way to the top. And that's sometimes more painful. It's most painful. I can tell you from the perspective of our product, this is like the biggest pain that anyone could ever imagine is like when they change such significant tool as project management system is the biggest time consumer and energy consumer and people sometimes just being pissed off of that fact because they now have to spend time on something that is not directly relevant to their job, which totally understandable. And plus, and also it's actually not billable either when you're trying to learn something new or migrate. And so I, even an idea, maybe even for yourself or anyone else who's run software, is if there is a migration service to go, hey, I'm on one, if you could move me. It's kind of like, um, actually, funny enough, I was talking to one person on, on about a mobile plan, and he goes, Erwin, move to our new mobile plan. I'm like, I can't, because if there is, there's a breakage fee. And he goes, you know what? We will pay the breakage, and we'll migrate you across, and we'll report your numbers across. And I'm like, okay, if you're willing to do it, you'll sign me up, right? Because it's really just reducing that barrier to entry, which is that pain point of effort. We don't like putting in effort, so. That's totally fine. I mean, something I do not completely understand, and among our competitors, there's the Sun and ClickUp, of course. What surprised me, that these super flexible, super big tools, is like, buy this tool to use it. You pay subscription, but then they also have the entire infrastructure when you need to pay to learn how to use it. I mean, this is like insane. And I think that something's going to be changed in this industry. Like, at least we, we try to do what you just mentioned to the plan in a similar fashion, try to take all take away the cost of change management, provide a dedicated support so the change would be as smooth as possible. But yeah, I, I like how you mentioned that fact. And testing within three systems or maybe more, this is like an amazing example because no matter how many features there are, your team might help you better understand it. In, in the end of the day, they're going to use it more than you probably, right? And I still remember some feedback. One, one staff member said, this one has too many features. And another staff said, there's not enough features. And so there's no one perfect answer. And let's be honest, staff change as well. So the person who wanted more features, if they leave, then you're, now you've left this legacy of what you wanted. But, and so it's what does the business need and finding what I call meeting the 80% and the 20%, you just got to sometimes deal with it because unless you want to create the perfect system, there's no such thing ever as the word perfect because as human beings, we keep changing. Our requirements change. Our clients change. Our businesses evolve. Our requirements expand. And so it's do the best with what you've got and that's all you can do unless you're willing to pay some big six, seven figures to build your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the restrictions is actually a clear obstacle to any progress. So if you see that clearly whatever worked before doesn't really work now, as especially if you grow, then you definitely need to be very easygoing when it comes to change. Otherwise, just artificial obstacles. Actually, on that, there is a, a, a good tip. I mean, if anyone is listening who's running the ops and they, you keep hearing the same complaints about any system, don't just hear it and go, great, 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 thanks. Write it down. Write it. So if it's your accounting software, it's your HR software, your, your PM software, your sales software, write it down. And every time you hear it again, just tick it off. Just add a little extra tick. Because when that list gets big enough, then the question is, you either shut up and say nothing, or you sit up and you do something about it and you spend money. But I don't want to spend money. Then shut up. Don't, don't say anything. Because you can solve it with energy, your own energy, or money. And if you don't really spend money, then you're just going to suck it up and stuff. So I think that's the tricky part. I think when people don't record or don't track the number of pain points, 
you don't actually realize, was that a really big pain point or was it just a once-off, you know, or just, that's amazing. I mean, I love that. Absolutely. I mean, anytime I have any pain point or had any pain point, I actually make some notes. And to me, to make a note, that means it's like probably, uh, I would say something that's really, really painful. That's something I can't ignore. And if I revisit it and like check, okay, it's there. Now, as you mentioned, it's like giving a weight for the future decision matrix as I try to get the analogy from the uni. And then you have, you know, unbiased weights to every pain, or you can also do this at the strong points and decide like, okay, whether it's worth it, at least for me. But in the end of the day, you can also apply that survey. We, we actually did about the different features, what we miss from the team members. And we have sort of like a democratic approach, like, okay, <laughs> the majority of people in the team, they really hate like uh, some, some, some aspects of the time tracking. So what we can do about that? And it's, that was uh, back like six years ago was a trigger for us to start to start building our own product. Unfortunately, by that date, we have not able to find it. But today, like you're right, there's so many tools. I don't think it's even possible to not find the solution. And the approach you mentioned is just so beautiful because you don't have, I would say, bias or imminent, you know, like emotional state because sometimes you can love something. That's, that's to be honest, my story with Asana. I loved how simple and clean their interfaces. I mean, I absolutely love this and everyone else. But then like in our story, we started to missing something or finding that we do like a lot of repetitive actions over and over again. We can't do that. And and bugs. Yeah, bugs is something like that's gonna stay forever, but. <laughs> yeah, bugs never leave my friend. But um, but I think it's just finding the best fit, being calculated and, and doing that kind of SWOT analysis. Like everything has strengths and weaknesses. There's no perfect system like we already said, right? So strengths, weaker, options, threats and stuff. And sometimes it's actually making the best, worst choice. Uh, you know, some, sometimes like, you know, I've got two options. They're both just as bad, but this one's just less bad, right? Because sometimes having no system at all is even worse. So don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. Sometimes we uh, wait it out, find the perfect fit. But sometimes we do have to take the plunge, give it a crack. And if you have, let's be honest. We will forever grow and evolve as an agency. And after 15 years, we've had ups, downs, turn left, turn right. It's okay. It's natural. So if you're thinking of some linear kind of, you know, predictable line, then don't become an agency owner. Uh, just don't run business. You know, it's just, it's kind of like this, you know, all the way out. That's absolutely the truth. And uh, I would say I've been on that uh, part of the people who expect like, oh, we can't make it to accumulate just linear growth. <laughs> yes, yes. Too optimistic, too optimistic. Yeah, like these events like COVID starts, it's, it's absolutely uncontrollable and they definitely impact the business. But yeah, not, let's not get that sidetracked. So that's amazing side of tools. It's pretty simple so far as that we got. But for the reporting and communication, like what do you use for chat? What do you use for reporting the results? Like do you just communicate like we did that or that weekly to the client? Or can they just enter whatever? I mean, if it's Asana today, or whether they go to Asana to get the updates, how it works. Well, it depends on what type of reporting you're speaking of. So if you're talking about like reporting of how successful our work was, then we obviously can learn on something like you know, Google Analytics. And let's be honest, there's no better data than real data taken straight from a client's sales team. So if you say, hey, my phone rang this many times because of the work you've done, then that's one. So phone number tracking, core tracking is quite crucial and quite important as well. So doing that really helps to attribute, and that's the keyword, attribute what we have done for a client. If you're talking about internal reporting and stuff like that, I like looking at, I mean, being the owner of a company, I looking at, I like looking at the actual financials of both the projects that we should pull out of your project management systems. That's me working with our project teams or 
the management teams, but obviously the financial numbers, and that's more like the accounting systems that you use. You should actually be able to, let's be honest, how many people know how to read their profit and losses or uh, look how to look at their numbers? I would say that if you're a business owner listening right now, and I asked you the question, how much money are you making? What's your revenue? What's your top line? How much margin do you have per project? What's your net profit at the end? What's 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 the net? Nets the uh, my my wife explains it as the little nets like a catching fish. What's the leftover part that you get to take home? Because I don't care what your turnover is if you don't know what's left over, you know, sort of thing. And so for me, do you know that number as of right now? Okay, maybe now is too last week, last month. Are you on track? And if all you're saying is, no, I'm just trying to get sales and I'm just trying to reduce my operational cost by running efficiently, that's not good enough. You need to know your numbers. And so uh, from a business perspective, I mean, that's a bit more simpler. As a SaaS, you need to know your churn rates, your, your CACs, your LTVs, your you know ARRs, MRRs, all those usual fun acronyms and stuff, or your ABCs, one, two, threes, because business is still a numbers game. But kids, to come back to your thing, financial systems for the top level, your project management should be part of your reporting because you should be able to pull it out. I'm not going to lie, we actually even built some of our own custom things back in the day where we actually, I came up with this system where I wanted to just look at my projects and go red light, yellow light, green light. Green is good, yellow is jet ready, and red is like, oh my gosh, like why the crap are we in red? With just as a glance, you know, sort of thing. So we built our own system that then spoke to Slack and Slack's like, what are we doing on this project? And we're like, oh, thank you, Slack. Do, do, do. There are some fun API integrations there. And then Google Analytics, like I said, for the marketing side. So that's it. That's amazing. I love hear that a lot just because what you have described of having a work like this green, yellow, or red project state at the given point in time. And to answer the question you have uh, asked in the first place, which is an open question that I think many entrepreneurs, especially agency owners, wouldn't able to do that. Because one of the reasons why it was a pain to me to get the answer to this question, you got to implement a lot of efforts to connect things together. On one side of the thing, you have subscriptions, you have other costs that just, you know, goes through your bank account. You got to get this information to perspective. And another thing, there's like revenue from the contracts and the salary or payment to the payroll on the on the other side. And you need and to get this final number, like what's real net income, especially here and now, and maybe in real time, I never seen in any system before. And this is something that, as you probably the reason why you have their own development because it doesn't exist at least in the level to you know to capture everything i'm not gonna do like a lot of advertisement on mine uh, but i still use spreadsheets and i'm one inch away from switching to work because in work while we can you know collect the revenue and expenses and you can do pretty much any project management system or like spreadsheets we try to automatic data gathering and in the end of the day, we also still need to count all of the other transactions. And I asked like some other people how they do that. They look at zero PNL, but looking at zero PNL, it means you also need to invest some time of work by yourself or by your accountant to categorize everything properly. You know, it still requires your manual input and a constant support. And I found that there is not just one single system which would tell you like, here's how much expenses you have, like. And, and the, I don't know, in the timeline chart and how much, you know, revenue you do. And most importantly, what's the net income in the end of the day? So that's amazing. I think if you have a single source of truth, then that's absolutely amazing. But I think, unfortunately, that everyone just uses so many different systems, all the information's been everywhere. And let's be honest, information is not what we want. We don't want data and information. There's too much data and information, to be honest. We want insights and wisdom. And so it's knowing how to turn that data and information into insights and wisdom 
And if you have a system that does it, awesome. Yeah, like driving the proper decision by your team as well. Like if, if you're gonna delegate things properly, uh, what I found the biggest pain, why I was enslaved by the by my own business for a long time, is because they simply didn't have enough data to make right decisions. And that's that's another another story. Cool. So that's awesome. And yeah, just to recap, uh, they used the custom solution. So for for listeners, that means like this problem is not solved yet, at least on the global scale. And Slack is communication, which I think is very popular choice these days. And for invoice and payments, let me guess, it's zero. Yeah. So it's like there's always going to be zero myop and what did it happen? I don't even know what's out there now. QuickBooks. You know, whatever like stuff, but um, yeah, there's only a couple of main players and stuff. So, yeah. So far, speaking with different Australian business owners, I found a zero, zero, zero. I mean, didn't hear anyone saying my OB to be honest so far. And of course, I do not expect to hear QuickBooks. Uh, I, I I mean, I used to. No, I haven't heard the word QuickBooks since <laughs> 1954. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's very similar. I just used both of them, but I would find like QuickBooks is just for more United States and um, Zero is more like Australia oriented. And it's like kind of automated, right? Like to you, you take care about the fact that there is no like human factor when someone generates the invoice, you know, it's aligned with the scope of work. Does it work as automatic in your current system or there's still some human interaction to make sure like everything is proper, manual changes? I guess this is a personal philosophy. I always believe that man and machine have to be merged together. In the same way, I can't just use ChatGPT just to do everything for me. I still need to check it. I still need to be part of it. I just don't need to be as as involved as I used to be sort of thing. So I actually believe that even if my sister can do it, the level of check is still going to need to be done by a human level. More, I mean, call me a cautious cow or just a you know a bit of a, a nervous Nancy and stuff. But I, I think just having the systems do most of the work and we just get some key people to check once in a while, I think is most ideal and the best. Let's be honest, the smaller the business you are, then yeah, sometimes you don't have that, you know, you don't have the resources, you don't have the systems, you don't have the processes, you don't have the finances. But as you get bigger and stuff, you, I think, yes, you definitely need to automate as much as you can, but then you also now have the money to get people who have the expertise who can help you out and also make some plays because sometimes it's not just about checking. Again, it's that insight and wisdom. Yeah, so it's not just getting a report saying green, yellow, and red, but an insight as an example, uh, actually, in fact, we had one guy go, wait a minute, we seem to have a lot of yellows, not many reds, but why are they always stuck on these yellows at this particular stage? Your report won't tell you the answer to that. They'll just tell you yellow, 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 yellow. And we realized one thing that was holding it up. And if we just unclog that like a toilet and stuff, then the pipes flow. And so that's all we have to do and stuff. So, so yeah. I hear huge presence of UX experts here because it's exactly, you know, instead of showing everything you've got, it doesn't make sense because you still need to do a lot of work. You focus on the problematic areas, something you need to address. I absolutely love this. So yeah, you're right. This is like always human interaction so far is needed. We'll see if AI will overtake that. But I think in the end of the day, human won't be happy. If the AI becomes too smart, we, we can both agree that it won't be well, I personally, sorry, I don't want to speak for this, but I will be kind of threatened and I will be in fear. Like, hey, if this if these AI is doing job better than I do, why well, am I needed? You know, AI doesn't need to eat, sleep, etc. So why am I needed? It's kind of now existential crisis. <laughs> I understand, understand. But yeah, I, I think we're still in a good place where we the two can coexist and we just take each one of our strengths. If we need to be more personal, more insightful in our own ways, then... Because we will understand our businesses. Remember, AI is still only as good as what you feed it. Someone said to me, Erwin, you make websites. 
when you look at the Google Analytics, do you lead 100% on someone's existing website, Google Analytics, or do you impose your own experience of what you've learned in the last two decades? And I said, you kind of have to do both because if I take the data as gospel, the data is data of a site that is not built well. That's why we're talking. And so if I just believed it, well, it hasn't been set up properly. So the data is only as good as if it's good data. In the same breath, my experience only goes so far, but I don't know the actuals. And so that's why you need the two to come together to then go, okay, what does that mean? I'll give you, I'll give you one good example. I had one client who was highly convinced that this one page of their website was amazing and we couldn't do anything. We couldn't change it. And I said, did you notice that all your marketing always pushes to that page? Of course the data makes that page look good because you say you have, this has the most traffic, the longest dwell time. Well, that's because you're pushing all your marketing to that page. Imagine you push it to a different page. Do you think it would still last? And they're like, oh, yeah. It's because you were using other factors without realizing because you can't just look at the data by itself. Everything has to be seen holistically. I like this. Like, I think I've seen some study about what you're talking about right now. It's, it's, uh, it's not cognitive bias, but something like that is like... Yeah, yeah it's, it's similar. Yes, I know what you're talking about because I was trying to think of the word and you're, and you're right and stuff. There is some sort of bias and I think we try to have to be as objective as possible, but unfortunately it's hard. In the same way, common sense isn't so common. So. Yeah, but, but you're right. Like balancing your experience, which is obviously, uh, it's, it's a reflection of your opinion, kind of bias it on its own. The data actually eliminates, I would say, disadvantages in the, on, on the average basis and makes things work uh, together pretty well. And I think with AI, as long as it just takes, you know, in the tactical aspect and you take as an owner on the strategic level, that might play really well. Well, actually, just to that, just to cap off this question and this thought, one person once said to me, Erwin, there is no such thing as the best choice. There's no such thing as the best choice. You can only find the least risky choice. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, think about it. How do you know something's best? Can you guarantee the outcome is 100%? No. Our job is just to de-risk things. So we just don't want to. So in the same way, how do I know that this person is going to be my life partner, is perfect for me? What is perfect? You don't know. Things can change. I will change, even if that person doesn't. Your job is just to find something that's as low risk as possible. And that's all we're doing. And so in the same breath, I don't know which system we'll choose for our operations. I don't know which, you know, we just do our best with what we have to make the best core. And that's all we can do. That's very true. And I personally call this maturity. As long as you step back from black and white, it's gray. It's just operating the larger scale, makes things more realistical. I had some idea I didn't work uh, well on that, but the huge, almost infinite difference between 99 point a lot of nines and 100%, because 100% is non-existent, it's perfect, it's unreal. And it's, it's much better to accept uh, in the reality that you can maximize something, but you can't make it perfect. And as long as you understand that life is much easier. <laughs> 100%. Let's go for progression than perfection. That's what I always say. So as long as we're moving forward, just do the best with what you got. And uh, same comes with data. That, you know, how I was talking about my experience and the data, just make the best version of that together. I get the best of both worlds and I promise you, you'll still need to improve it. Yeah, that's a cool one. I need to update my vocabulary. I used a lot more perfection, but I like progression. This is more appropriate. <laughs> progression, 100%. Cool. Progression is going upwards. When it comes to accountability and data transparency, I want to briefly touch that uh, from 
do you have like kind of historical insights as you mentioned you collect this data but do you have an ability to see historical insights like to revisit things and is it, is it easy to obtain that information with all the systems you use yeah there, there is a bit of a secret source here which unfortunately i cannot share too much but i think it is important that you reflect on the data each year. So I'll give you one example, one thing that I've done. I actually did analysis of our marketing and the results of the effort that you put in and the result that you actually output it. And I actually tracked it over six years and I kind of reviewed, I did this. It's, it's kind of like little levers, kind of picture that I put this lever up, did it change anything? No, okay. How about we change the lever down this, down this side? Did it make any difference? And you just keep changing with each moment. And so I can actually tell you if I actually went through my whole company over the years, which point I grew and which point I was able to maximize and actually lose this up because of the data. But everything has to be done. It's, uh, business is just a massive hypothesis. Marketing choices are hypothesis. I believe if I do this, I will get this much traffic, which will then lead to this much engagement, which will the blah, 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 and so forth, right? If I write this proposal this way, I will get this. They're all just guesses. We're just making our best guess and refining it as we go. And so... We do need to have some sort of review process and some time to kind of sit down and reflect as a team. Can we do it more often? Absolutely. In the same way, I should actually date my wife more often, actually you know, go out on more personal dates and stuff. But, but we can't, you know, seem to go get away from the kids and stuff for so maybe once in a while. In the same way in business, I think it's important as much as you do health checks for clients is to actually do a sense check for your own business. Did we actually, are we getting better? Are we just doing the same thing? Are we comfortable? that we don't want to change. And so can I tell you the worst word that we always say and we don't even realize it? And it's the word good. Hey, Vladimir, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm good. Good is an excuse to stop you from talking. It makes you not reflect. Because if you said bad, I would press it a little bit more and go, hey, buddy, you're doing bad. How can I help you? If you say I'm doing great, I'm like, well, fantastic, tell me more. But if you say I'm good, it just stops it there. There's no reflection, and let's be honest. How often do you and I, and anyone who's listening, how often do we say we're good when we're actually not good? It's a default answer that we just say. And so I've even, and actually, in fact, I've banned my children from answering with the word good when I ask them, how was your day? How are you feeling? How was that class at school, how did you go with X, Y, Z? How'd you go with the exam? If they say good, or they've got another thing coming out, but they have to at least add something to it. You've got to qualify that good because I just don't believe you. And so funny enough for you, and this is me sharing on your behalf, if you think your operational systems are good, be careful. Maybe it's, it's you know, like, have a think about it. Maybe you want to review Pull out that list of complaints because if I have no list of complaints and you're happy, it's not good. It's actually, it's great. Then you don't need to do anything. I like this angle of view because if we use good as excuse or to escape the reality, this is definitely a problem. It's actually bad. It might be also pretty good, but not uh, kind of focusing on what could be done better so you can make it great. Yeah, I definitely like that. I actually position a little bit differently. I'm thinking, I mean, I'm probably abusing good as, as many others, but to me, like, I would never make a goal to make something good. It's not interesting to live just making good goals, uh, only great or excellent, something like that. 
So I, I position like when I, when I think of something mediocre or good or not like great, there is a work to do. Generally, I totally agree. Like this is very important to pay attention to that. And I think uh, some people use good and some, you know, I would say more common phrases just to escape realizing something is probably could be done better. Yeah. To me, sometimes good is an escape word. It's a denial word. Sometimes it's just like, I'm not thinking about it. It's not important, nor is it urgent. But I think sometimes we just have to realize, are we saying good and not realizing it's we're actually in a really bad situation? Have to think about it. So, so again, I'm talking not just about operations. I'm not just talking about, you know, how we work, how I teach my children. I'm even talking about everything from mental health and everything. I have that many friends who I go, hey, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm good. And I'm looking at them going, you are not good, my friend. And so just being careful of that word in business. Oh, hey, how is your website performing? Yeah, it's good. How's your AdWords campaign? Yeah, it's good. And I go, wait a minute, I've just analyzed your data. You're losing your cost to acquire a client. You could halve that. And they're like, oh, can I? Because good stops you from improving or, or searching for something better. And it's almost like you almost have to have this internal holy dissatisfaction that there is better. Some people go, no, there's no better. I've already hit the best. And I'm like, if you, to me, why I am so passionate about being the word good is because it's the opposite of the student switch that we talked about before. Because good doesn't want to learn anymore. Good is happy. Good is content. And I'm not saying contentment is bad, but I'm saying we always need to self-check. We can always be better. We can always improve. And so I don't mind if you say good a couple of times in business, right? Because I think sometimes we need that kind of you know, just that gentleness. But once in a while, it's like, wait a minute, I think I've been saying good for the last like 15 years. Maybe there could be something better. Let's go onwards and upwards. It's kind of like water, lukewarm. Do you notice that lukewarm water is neither good for healing properties, nor does it boil or it doesn't kill any bacteria. It's just done nothing. thing. It's just lukewarm. It's good. Cold water can freeze and preserve. Hot can steam and, and also, you know, burn things and all things like that, right? It has healing agents. Lukewarm is neither here nor there. So are we lukewarm businesses or are we on fire to want to see us really grow? That's my thought. Amazing. I'm capturing these words, not just listening actually at this point. I think I'm learning something I can improve my pitch. Are you just hit the nail? I mean, good. Are you feeling great knowing you are doing just good? <laughs> that's something that I like. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And to be honest, I think we live in a world that's not even great. It should be awesome. It should be like mouth-watering, groundbreaking, rocket science, like, wow, right? If we're not living those, then what kind of lives are we living? You only get one life anyway, and I'm not being all YOLO, but let's be honest. Let's have fun. Let's be passionate in what we do, and let's just really, um, yeah, go out guns a-blazing, so... Yeah, that's absolutely true. I like how this conversation nourished different other aspects. I think it will be absolutely invaluable to the viewers to look at these structural chapters we have under the more creative angle, which I feel a lot out of this conversation. One last question I have in this category is about autonomy. So autonomy considered in the management aspect kind of a pinnacle in many ways, as long as, as everything functions perfectly. I know this word is kind of not always perfectly, but I would say reaching the perfectly in this case. So do you have sort of autonomy in the business that it can run on its own without you completely? So you can, let's say, go sabbatical for one year, or do you think it's something you would love to achieve? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting question. As a business owner, entrepreneur, actually, funny enough, 
I was sick with COVID. And I remember how frustrated I was lying in bed, nothing to do. Not because of the ailments and the sickness and the, the fevers and whatever you get when you have COVID. I was just bored, right? I'm not going to lie. I live the lifestyle I want right now. I think that if I get to play golf, go to the gym, spend time with my family, get to serve uh, in my church, I get to run multiple companies and stuff like that, I'm actually living my best life now. I think what we don't want to do is work 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. every night, burning the candle on all lens and stuff like that. I think what we're really looking for is actually for us to be able to control time, not time control us. So I want to choose to work. And if I choose to work, great. If I choose to turn off, great. And I think it's just finding that balance. So, you know what? Some weeks I'm like, you know what? I just want to work an extra two hours. That's great, right? Because I get a lot of joy in working. To me, it's actually not work. I'm actually just doing my hobby that I get paid for. That's actually how I see it. If I want to, and again, for some people, that you want to take time off itself. I mean, ultimately, it would be nice to have more time for myself to do more things that I like, you know, mentoring other people, helping them out, even some extra gardening, if you really want to throw in some green thumbs there, you know, sort of thing. I think it's choosing for yourself what success looks like, how much autonomy you want and stuff. That's all you need to do. So for me, I'm pretty happy where I am. I mean, would I like a couple of extra hours free for myself? Absolutely. And therefore, I think automation, using AI, doing more integrations, delegating a bit more. I think it's all on the cards for every entrepreneur. But I think my problem is, my friend is, for every time I put down a bucket, I pick up two more because I get too excited because I'm like, oh, what about we do this and this now since I have more time? So I think for an entrepreneur, I don't think I started so I could do nothing. I think I started because I want to do something, but it's just that I want to make sure I can control the pressure, the stress, and what I do in my own time, my own way, that to me is the ultimate life. So am I there 100% yet? Well, I, I'm pretty happy, but is there room for improvement? Absolutely. There's always improvement for everything. So so yeah, that's it. That's amazing. So controlling the, your own time if having this freedom of control, that's the most important. I actually hear this pattern in, in the answer all the time. And I think this is a tricky question. And yeah, I, I like the fact that uh, it's defined this way. So thank you very much for sharing this. Hi, pleasure. All right, cool. I think that's it. I have just an open question, like maybe other tips and tricks uh, you, you want to share on top of that. I, I've immensely appreciated by the amount of knowledge you already shared, but maybe if there is something extra you can share with the entrepreneurial community, that would be um, nice to have. I think the biggest one I've learned, and maybe it's coming comes off the back of a meeting I just came from, it's business clarity, being really clear with the problem that you solve, that you could articulate it, in less than 10 words. So you know how we talk about sales pitches or an elevator pitch? To me, you shouldn't need a long, arduous line of who you are, what you do. You should be able to articulate really quickly and simply. And it should be more customer-centric as a benefit than just about your features and your solutions. And so having that clear message, I think is really important for you as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, for you as you're sharing with investors, but also the message that you have on your website. You should actually articulate that very quickly and simply. If you cannot, you will lose in the game of sales. You'll lose in the game of marketing. You'll lose 
in the area of convincing your staff why they should join, you will actually lose in your vision and your direction. And so be very clear with where you're going and the way you articulate that message so that the world knows what you stand for. That's a true, it's a pure wisdom here, pure gold. And that actually also reminds me of one man from software developers saying something like, look, in order for ChatGPT or any AI to produce really good results you can use, you got to do the most complicated part and it's explaining the requirements. <laughs> so we are safe, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. AI is not going to overtake us. <laughs> <laughs> no, love it. Love it. That's cool. All right. Awesome. So that's pretty it for the inviting uh, part. I was just to ask you last final question is, can you tell us something that is not on your LinkedIn profile and you are comfortable to share? Yeah. For those who actually know me and stuff like that, I used to be an illusionist, a magician, uh, for a better word. I did it for 20, I was being 21, 22 years now and stuff like that. And, and why I did it is my love for human psychology and understanding human behavior. That's really something that I just really enjoy. So um, yeah, and so, and my favorite moment is actually when I performed in front of, I think it was about 20 to 30 other magicians, a trick that I've done quite some time ago, which I think I learned in 2001. And uh, that was a really, a really nice highlight because it was as nerve wracking as anything, especially when you're in front of people who actually know what they're doing. But it was just a really fun thing. Have I done magic tricks uh, for a while? No, not really now. I enjoyed the hobby of it. But uh, yeah, that's just a, a bit of a fun fact. And maybe that's why I do what I do now. It, it's the evolution of doing magic tricks and just, yeah, making stuff online appear beautiful. So That's really, really cool. Thank you very much for sharing this. I, I believe that proper UX and beautiful implementation is definitely magic and just can change your mood in a moment and help you, the business, the target business to achieve the goal. So absolutely, I think you continue doing this magic <laughs> just in a different landscape. I'd like to ask you to, what's the best way to contact uh, you or the company? Is it going to the website? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a couple of ways you can connect. And thanks for, again for, for today. If you'd like to connect with me personally, my name is Erwin Howe. Erwin is in Steve Erwin, Crocodile Hunter, and Howe is in H-A-U. Uh, you can jump on LinkedIn to connect with me. Love to connect and let me know that you heard this podcast. Look forward to continuing those conversations. And if you actually want to check out the two companies that I have there, uh, chromatics.com.au, so C-H-R-O-M-A-T-I-X.com.au is my digital agency. And my MarTech SaaS company is Conversion Cow. Cow is in uh, Milk Your Website for More Leads or Beef Up Your Website, conversioncow.com. So that's it. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. Again, delighted to have you as a guest on this podcast. It's absolutely pure goal, as I would say, all the knowledge share you have uh, you did here. I wish you to have a nice and productive week ahead. Thanks, sir. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.